We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. 228. The following program is sponsored by True Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy delivers a passionate message about keeping the faith. God doesn't want us to go through life bent over like a question mark. He wants us to go through life bold and upright like an exclamation mark. He died for our sins, that he rose again, that he has disarmed death, he has brought life to reign in life once more. The promise of immortality, all of that is true, and all of that should embolden us. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. We're in the middle of a study in 2 Timothy, examining the Apostle Paul's charge to his young pastor apprentice. Philip originally delivered these messages to the men in his church, but the biblical truths are applicable to everyone, young and old, men and women. You can listen to previously aired messages online at ktt.org. Now, let's join Philip as he delivers the powerful conclusion to his two-part message called Keeping the Faith. We're in a series on 2 Timothy, a series we have called Without Apology. The Lord has burdened me in recent days about this thought that what we need is an unashamed church in a shameless society. Our culture is unabashed and unafraid to express its rebellion towards God. We live in a shameless society, and we need an unashamed church to be witness to the gospel within that society. And Paul's going to help us to that end, because this is his legacy letter, and he writes to his young uh, apprentice in the ministry, Timothy, and he urges him to minister without a spirit of fear. He urges him to be unashamed in his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and his servants who preach the gospel, to be unashamed. And so we have come to look at this passage, and there's three things that come out of the text. Gospel commitment involves suffering. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. Gospel commitment is a matter of suffering. Gospel commitment is a matter of safeguarding. Look at verse 14. That good thing, that's the treasure of the gospel. That's the body of truth that is indeed the message of Jesus Christ. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. Timothy, if you're unashamed, it will show itself in suffering. If you're unashamed, it will show itself in safeguarding. And if you're unashamed, it will show itself in supporting. So gospel commitment involves those three things. So let's jump back in. Number one, it's a matter of suffering. That's verses 8 through 12. We reminded ourselves that nobody gets to heaven unscathed and unscarred. 
We must indeed make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. We must not be embarrassed by him, his testimony, or those who preach that message. And suffering will come. Suffering, not shame, ought to be the mark of the Christian. How do we suffer? Because the Spirit of God reinforces and strengthens us to do so. And why do we suffer? Because this is a message worth suffering for. This is a glorious message, a magnificent gospel. And when that grips you and you grip it, then you're unashamed of it. There's nothing to be ashamed of it as it's a -a one-of-a-kind gospel. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved. There's nothing better than this gospel. Read the book of Hebrews, one of the writer's favorite words, better. Jesus sacrificed better than anything offered in the temple and the tabernacle. Jesus covenant better. There's a theology, there's an emerging doctrine here of salvation in verses 9 and 10 that just would remind Paul, this is worth suffering for. This is a glorious gospel, unparalleled. Shame on us if we ever ashamed of it. Read his writings, by the way. Paul never feared death. He feared a wasted life. So there's a certain calling here that enables Paul to indeed suffer valiantly. And now Timothy must do the same. Let's move on through the text. Look at verse 11. To which, speaking about this gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Having just spoken about the gospel, Paul now reflects on his relationship to the gospel. He's a preacher and a teacher of it. There's an element of Paul's willingness to suffer for the gospel here in a deep sense of duty and obligation rooted in God's call to the ministry. Here's another element of bearing up under suffering. You've got the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've got a magnificent gospel to believe in and to suffer for. And then you've got this sense of duty. God called you to preach it. God called you to teach it. God called you to be an apostle, a sent one out into the world. And that might land you in trouble and difficult situations. See, Paul has already taught about the call to salvation. Look at verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. God has called us irresistibly to himself by his grace and his sovereign mercy. That's the call to salvation. But there comes with it and after it a call to service. And Paul soon learned after his own conversion that God had appointed him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and he would suffer much wherever he went. But Paul embraced that because he was a man on a mission. He was undeterred and undaunted in the face of opposition. Because he understood that he had been made by sovereign grace, a minister of the gospel. That's why C.H. Spurgeon says, when God calls you to the ministry, don't stoop to be a king. Because this is a high and a holy calling. And Paul revels in that as he kind of encourages his young minister in the gospel and gives him reasons to be unashamed and to be faithful. Here's one of them. Because like me, Timothy, you have been appointed to be a preacher of the gospel. And there's nothing bigger and there's nothing better. This is a non-negotiable task. 
This is a noble task. This is a necessary task. I'd like to get into those thoughts, but I can't. It is a non-negotiable in the sense, Acts 26, verse 19, having related the king Agrippa, his conversion, and his call to the ministry to preach the gospel that has landed him in trouble and has indeed pushed him into the presence of king Agrippa. What does Paul say about all of that? He says, but I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I mean, this, this thing was foisted on me. I'm not a minister of the gospel by human exertion. I'm a minister of the gospel by divine appointment. This is a non-negotiable task for me, and it's a noble task. In fact, when we get to 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, Paul will describe the ministry as something noble, something excellent, something great, because this is non-negotiable. It's noble, and it's necessary. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 17, he said that, you know, necessity was laid on me, and woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm in trouble if I don't preach the gospel. One, because if I don't preach the gospel, people get lost and damned. And if I don't preach the gospel, then I'm not living up to what my purpose in life is. So here's the point. Paul was unashamed in the light of the glory and magnificence of his calling. Paul had a high view of the ministry that helped him overcome his challenges and stay above the fray. And the point is this. A man with a calling from God is a force to be reckoned with. He's an unstoppable figure. You want evidence? Go back to the Old Testament. Just one, Jeremiah, whom God called, God sent, and God said, don't be afraid when you stand before the nations because I'll be with you. Or you go to the New Testament, I'll give you one example. John the Baptist, who was fearless. In fact, he lost his head for the cause of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1 of John's gospel, what do we read of him? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. See, when a man has a sense of calling, he's an unstoppable force. I was at the pre-trib conference in Dallas this past week, and we honored the life of Tim LaHaye, who started the pre-trib conference some 25 years ago. And a young man, Giverit, had indeed studied under Tim LaHaye. And he said, you know, I always remember Tim LaHaye saying to us as young men, don't look for a career, look for a calling. Paul had a calling. And when a man has a calling beyond his career, he's an unstoppable force. And it roots his life and it gives him confidence. It gives him purpose. And he's hard to turn away. And that's going on in Paul's life. That's why W.A. Criswell, pastor at First Baptist Dallas many years ago, the first and foremost of all the inward strengths of a pastor is the conviction deep as life itself that God has called him to the ministry. No man will survive the ministry without a call. And it's hard to stop a man in the ministry who senses a call. I'm appointed an apostle and a preacher and a teacher. Finally, under this thought of suffering, there's a certain calling and then there's a certain confidence that just reinforces the resolve to suffer. There's a confidence here, verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. We're back to this thought of not being ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him unto that day. Here's another reason he's unashamed. Why he hasn't bowed and why he hasn't bended. Because he, in an uncertain world, and in uncertain times, Paul had confidence about a few certain things. Every preacher needs to remember that you cannot persuade others of that which you are not persuaded yourself. 
So despite the hostility of the environment in which he ministered, Paul didn't buy, Paul didn't bend because he had a confidence in God's sovereignty, God's Son, and God's sufficiency. I know whom I have believed. I've got a creed. I'm certain about the person of Christ. I know whom I have believed. I'm certain about the power of Christ. He's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I'm certain about the prospect of Christ in that future day. He had a creed that produced a confidence. While God demands faithfulness from those he has appointed to preach the gospel The success of the gospel ultimately rests with him, not with us. And that's where Paul's confidence was. There's a debate among the commentators when he talks about that which I've committed to him. Was that Paul's soul? Was that Paul's future? Possibly. But when you go through this passage in this letter, that which is committed is often code for the gospel itself. Are we reading here that Paul has committed the gospel he preaches to God and prays that he tries to safeguard it, that God will safeguard him and it. He's looking to God to bring success. Could well be. I probably lean in that direction. And if that's the case, Paul's anticipated fear about Timothy, Paul's anticipated fear about the future of the gospel was alleviated in recounting the keeping power of God in relation to the gospel. He is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Guys, God doesn't want us to go through life bent over like a question mark. He wants us to go through life bold and upright like an exclamation mark. We have a creed. It's Jesus Christ, his gospel. That he died for our sins. That he rose again. That he has disarmed death. He has brought life to reign in life once more. There is the promise of immortality. All of that is true, and all of that should embolden us. In the tough days of the 17th century, the Puritan Thomas Watson, whose convictions cost him a fair share of ill treatment, said in the introductory remarks of his famous book, A Body of Divinity, he said this, and it just about summarizes what I'm trying to say on this point, such as are not saddled in the faith can never suffer for it. Skeptics in religion hardly ever prove martyrs like that. Skeptics in religion hardly ever prove to be martyrs. But I'll tell you what, men and women and churches who know whom they have believed and what it is they have believed in, they have a martyr complex in the sense that they are willing to suffer for the faith. Commitment to the gospel is a matter of suffering, verses 8 through 12. Now, in verses 13 through 14, we have commitment to the gospel as a matter of safeguarding. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Digging a little bit deeper, a gospel commitment requires safeguarding. See, Paul urges loyalty to the gospel here. He has just outlined it. He has just defined it. And he has reinforced to Timothy his love of it. 
and he's honored by the fact that God has appointed him a preacher and an apostle with regards to it. And so he says, hey, now, Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. So I'm going to ask loyalty of you. I've kept the faith. Will you? I've fought the good fight. Will you? Paul is Timothy's intrepid leader, and he calls his young master, Timothy, not only to be a herald like Paul preaching the gospel, but a steward like Paul protecting the gospel. You see, in verse 14, we read that Timothy has been entrusted with the treasure of the good news, and he's got to keep that. He's got to protect that. He's got to stand guard over that. You've got a similar thought back in 1 Timothy 6 verse 20 in his first letter to Timothy. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Timothy had been made a custodian of the crown jewels of this glorious gospel. Guys, if we're going to keep the faith, we've got to keep the faith once delivered to the saints. This is the sermon in itself. I just quickly wrote down several things from both that immediate context and the wider context of this letter of how you and I might guard the gospel. Here's how we guard the gospel. Number one, by being a stickler for doctrine. You need to know what you're guarding You need to be a stickler for doctrine. Look at verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound or healthy words. The word pattern there is an interesting word. It's a Greek word that gives us the idea of an outline sketch by an artist or an architect. An outline sketch by an artist or an architect. And so Paul is saying there is an outline of healthy words. (laughs) And Timothy... When you come to understand what the gospel is, and you define it, and you outline it, don't color outside the lines. Be precise. The Puritans used to say that they served a precise God. So do we. And he's precise about the gospel of his son, his deity, his eternal existence, his place as the second person within the Trinity, his virgin birth. The fact that Christ never sinned and could not sin. The fact that Christ gave himself as an atoning sacrifice by the giving of his life in bloody death. The fact that his son physically rose from the dead three days later. The fact that his son will return manifestly in power and glory at the end of history. That's just a general outline of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we are not allowed to color outside those lines. You want to guard the gospel and understand what it is. Have an outline and a definition of what it is. And stay there and oppose anyone that wants to expand the outline or for doctrine. Secondly, powerfully demonstrate that gospel. We want orthodoxy, but we want orthopraxy. There's nothing more deadening to the gospel than a lifeless expression of that gospel. That's why Paul will say what? Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 
We've got to express what we believe by life marked by faith and love. Thirdly, by seeking spiritual discernment. We need to lean heavily upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can only keep this charge. We can only fulfill this obligation by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He's the one who authored this book. He's the one who has come to show Jesus Christ to us. He's the one that illuminates our understanding of this outline of truth. And we need to seek his discernment. Keep the gospel, guard the gospel, yes, by being a stickler for doctrine, by powerfully demonstrating the gospel, by seeking spiritual discernment, by, fourthly, marking false teachers. Those who color outside the lines are to be exposed and in some rare occasions, named. Named. Did you notice in verse 15 how Paul names Phygelus and Hermogenes? Who abandoned him? And one would assume they abandoned the gospel. They may have been leaders in training, just like Timothy. But Paul was now radioactive. You keep preaching what Paul preaches, you land in prison. You lose friends. And they abandoned Paul. They abandoned the gospel. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. One would assume that these men had abandoned the testimony of the Lord and Paul, his servant. And Paul calls them out. I've got to feed the flock, but I've also got to warn them about wolves that will slaughter them. And sometimes it's appropriate to call out false teaching and false teachers. That's how you guard the gospel. And fifthly, and finally, by discipling others theologically. But look at chapter 2 and verse 2. And the things which you heard from me... See, Paul, in guarding the gospel, has worked hard in the life of a young man to help him understand the outline of gospel truth. He has tried to call him to a life of holiness. He has warned him about false teachers. He's has him resting on the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul is disciple Timothy because the gospel is guarded by raising up a generation of gospel men just like you because we need another batch of deacons and elders. We need to be training up young men who know the gospel, love the gospel, will die for the gospel because that's how we guard it. By look what? Teaching faithful men to teach others to be faithful. Guys, guarding the gospel, it's so important. Preparing the next generation to carry the gospel into the future. This is Know the Truth. You're listening to the conclusion of a two-part message from Philip DeCourcy called Keeping the Faith. The responsibility of preparing the next generation to receive the faith is something we must take seriously. It's a sacred trust. That's why, if you've never contacted Know the Truth before, we'd like to send you a free bookmark with helpful tips on being a mentor and finding a mentor, gleaning wisdom from those who came before us, and sharing wisdom with those who are coming up the path is a vital part of church community. Ask for the free mentoring bookmark at ktt.org. While the culture underplays fathers, God's Word describes men as the servant leaders who shape the next generation. And when you give to the ministry of Know the Truth, Phillips picked out a book to help you anchor your family in Christ for the next 100 years. You'll enjoy author Steve Farrar's compelling and inspiring writing. In his book, Anchorman, he shares proven biblical methods for building a legacy of faith for generations to come. 
It is possible to influence the culture while fortifying your family in God's truth and love. Request your copy of Anchorman when you give to the Bible teaching ministry of Know the Truth. You can call in your donation to 888-644-8811. You can give online at ktt.org or write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And as always, a big thanks to our monthly Truth Ambassadors. This ministry would not be possible without you. Your regular monthly giving ensures that people all across the country can receive clear and encouraging Bible teaching every day. And if you're not yet a Truth Ambassador, sign on today. Just go online to ktt.org and make this ministry your ministry. I'm Wayne Shepherd, wrapping up another week of bold and biblical teaching. Enjoy your weekend and be sure to come back Monday for more Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. say there are billions of dollars lost in a market crash. The truth is, they're not lost, they just exchange hands. And the good news is, by gaining the right kind of knowledge, you can learn to recognize the opportunities that exist, and more importantly, act on them. I'm Pastor David Mitchell, founder of Tradeway. Along with being an investment advisor, Tradeway offers our students a powerful education so that they can take their investments in their own hands. We break down the confusing world of finance so that you can understand it. We keep it simple, fun, and personal. Come join us at our next two-day event called Step 1, Start Your Journey. You'll learn to take small steps to reach your biggest goals. Coming to the Sheraton Tyson's Hotel, July 20th and 21st. Only $99.95 for your entire household, plus a free ticket for a friend and a full money-back guarantee. To register, call 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-8723. Or go to Tradeway.com. That's Tradeway.com. Sell your home.